Welcome. Let's stand and read Psalm 95 responsively to start our worship this morning. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For, for he, he is, is our God, God and, and we, we are, are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full and is the man. 
Let us read responsibly again from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's stand. Would you like to know the 
For the pastoral prayer, I would like to remind you that one of the ways in, in how we worship the Lord is through our giving. Here in this church, we have a ton of people that worship the Lord through offering, and we are so thankful for your commitment because you truly believe that this is your church and you truly believe in the mission of God in this church. And yet, I think that I, and we have to continue to remind the church that giving is an important part of what it means to be a Christian. So please continue to support the church financially. If you are not sustaining the church financially, I want to invite you to join uh, the rest of the congregation in that. And there's three ways in which you can do that. You can always send your offering to the church directly uh, via mail, or you could go to our website, Witten Bible Church slash uh, give, or as you exit the building, you're going to find by the entrances boxes when you can deposit your offering. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we get to worship as a family. Lord, we are grateful that we get to be part of something much bigger than simply ourselves or our families or things of that sort. Lord, we are grateful that we get to contribute to the kingdom of God. Lord, we are grateful that we get to worship you and speak to you and use our gifts and talents for your glory. Lord, we are grateful, Lord, that you have kept us safe and healthy up until this point. Lord, we know that the pandemic is, uh, COVID-19 continues to be an issue in our environment and in our time. And I pray, Lord, that you move against it. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you protect your church, that you protect your people, that you protect our nation, and that you protect the world in your mercy and grace. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that in the midst of everything we go through, we may be people of faith, that we trust you and rest in you. And I pray, Lord, that if any of us here present or worshiping with us online are going through difficult times, we may cling to you until you bring relief. We are so grateful, Lord, that we get to be here this morning. Please glorify yourself in our midst. 
And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, God said to Jonah, I have a little task. Get up and go to Nineveh and do what I ask. The people there are wicked, so tell them to obey. But Jonah got on board a ship and sailed the other way. God sent a windstorm to shake up the boat. The frightened sailors worried that it wouldn't stay afloat. Jonah had been sleeping, but he heard the captain cry, Everybody pray or we may all die. Jonah told the sailors, it's all because of me. I'm sure the wind will stop if you throw me in the sea. They didn't want to do it, but the wind held and roared. So they picked up Jonah and threw him overboard. When Jonah hit the water, the wind stopped blowing, the boat stopped lurching, and the waves stopped rolling. But God prepared a fish, and as soon as it arrived, it opened up its mouth and swallowed him alive. Down went Jonah with a great big swish. He landed at the bottom of the belly of a fish. For three days and three nights he stayed that way. Then he prayed for help and promised to obey. Jonah was relieved when he saw what God had planned. The fish threw him up and tossed him on the land. God said to Jonah, I want them to repent. So go preach to Nineveh. And, and this time Jonah went.
All right, good morning, familia. Wasn't that beautiful? Yep. So let me speak to you really quick, little ones present in the congregation. You have no idea how much you are a blessing to all of us adults. The way you sing, the way you live, the things you do is a blessing for us adults. And there's a reason why God speaks to you children the way he does. He says that we should imitate your faith. So I want you to know that we love you, and we want you to know that you are appreciated, and I want you to know that we love that you're part of our church. Amen? Amen. And the rest of the congregation. All right, Wheaton Bible Church, welcome to our service today, whether you are in person or worshiping with us online. I, I, I always want to remind you that if you are here for the first time, um, we are here to love you and we are here to serve you in any way we can. Uh, before giving room to, uh, for the Word of God, I wanted to share something really quick with you. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but last week, this last week, uh, our student ministry had their uh, mission trip, their annual mission trip, and uh, about 40-something, 40 45 people went to Memphis, and I went with them, uh, and I don't know why I did that. Um, <laughs> and and I, I got to tell you, it was a beautiful week. I, I got to see what the Lord was doing in our students and through our students. Uh, I got to see how much the Lord uses these kind of trips in the lives of, in our, of our students and in the people that we're ministering to. Uh, but uh, you should also know that it was a really hard week. So almost the last day, second to last day before coming back, a bunch of our students got sick. Three of our leaders got sick, and we had to cut the, the, the trip short by one day. So we came on Thursday before, instead of coming on Friday. But this is the reason why I want you to know that, is because... Being able to be there and see the work of God in the lives of our students made me really proud to be part of this church. And it made me really proud to have the students we have and the leaders we have. So we just celebrated our kids. Now we get to celebrate our students. All right, that's enough. Today I get to finish the series on the book of Jonah, and we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. Now up until this point, the story has been really interesting, but chapter 4 has a different twist. It's actually a chapter that is a little bit hard to digest. Because the story finishes not the way a story, is good story, is supposed to finish. And I want us to dig into that chapter together. So we're going to be reading today from chapter 3, verse 10, all the way to Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Could you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word? If you're still here with me, could you please say, I'm here. I'm here. That was beautiful. Chapter two, uh, 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, 
a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, a leafy plant, and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed at Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Lord, please speak to us this morning. Help us understand, Lord, why is it that Jonah got to this point? And keep us, Lord, from making the same mistake. Because at the end of the day, people like the people of Nineveh are precious to you. Please help us understand and believe that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says, you may take a seat. <clears throat> All right, if you are familiar with the story of Jonah, or if you have been walking with us as we have been walking through this book, I think that you would agree with me that this is actually a really good story. Right? There's drama, there's action, there's unexpected turns. It forces you to think and to ask questions. So you see this man that has a special call from God, and he first runs away from God and his calling, and then he repents and understands, and then the Lord sends them back to Nineveh, and he preached, and people believed and repent, and 120,000 people got saved. 120,000 people got saved. I don't know about you, but that's what I will call our revival. 120,000 people repented and came to the saving knowledge of God. Now, if we, if we finish the story there, that would be an amazing story. Hollywood will buy it. But that's not how the story ends. The story ends in a negative note. What is interesting, though, is that it doesn't finish in a, in a negative note because the Ninevites unconverted. It finishes on a negative note because of Jonah. Jonah, the man of God, the prophet of the Lord, the one that knows the word of God, 
the one with a, with a unique calling, the spiritual person. It is because of him that the story finishes in a negative note. Actually, the Lord does this amazing thing, and he brings people to him. And chapter 4, verse 1 says this, that he became angry. Another translation is at the word very angry, because that's the idea behind that. It wasn't that he, that, that he was just bothered by the way people responded to God. Actually, the word in the original is more like the word furious. He was extremely angry at the response of people repenting and coming to God. So, of course, we got to ask the question, why? Why is Jonah so upset? Wasn't that part of his calling? Wasn't that a good thing that people came, that repented and came to believe in God? Didn't he learn from the process of being confronted by God, suffering himself? Didn't he learn the lesson? Maybe. That's the thing. Maybe not. Maybe yes. We don't know because the text doesn't tell us what's happening and why is it that he reacted this way clearly unless we dig into the text. And the first thing that you can see from the story and from Jonah's heart is that sin is hard to kill. It doesn't matter how much we go through, how much we do, how much we experience. Sin, at the end of the day, is hard to kill. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm asking God the question, what is it, God, that you're going to do to Jonah to bring him back? What is it that you're going to do with Jonah to correct the, the reality of his heart? And God responds in the text by saying, I'm going to ask questions. Which is a really weird thing to do, right? But God actually asks Jonah three questions. Question number one, is it right for you to be angry? Verse four. Question number two, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Verse nine. Number three. Should I not have great concern for Nineveh? Verse 11. Those are my three points, actually. And this is the question that I'm asking you to ask. Why is it that God asks questions? It couldn't be that he didn't know. I hope you know that God is omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. And I hope you know that God is not only omniscient, but he's omnipresent, meaning that he's at all times, in all places, and he knows everything at all times, both physically and spiritually. So the question remains, why is it that God asks questions? I want to propose that the reason why God asks questions is not because he doesn't know, but because he, he's making the questions that we should be making. Every time God asks a question of you, is inviting you, to you to, for you to ask yourself the same questions that God is asking. In this case, why am I so angry? Why does this bother me so much? See, I think that God does this kind of stuff because he wants to help us see the things that we can't see or the things that we don't want to see. To put it in a different way, when God is asking questions, it's because he wants you to do a self-assessment. 
So the first question is this. Is it right for you to be angry? He's inviting Jonah to ask himself, is it right for me to be angry? Now, I don't want to lose you here because it's going to be a little bit complicated, so please stay with me, okay? This is the first big question. And we're going to spend most of our time with this first big question. So do not worry, I will not preach more than two hours. <laughs> Within this first big question, God is inviting, according to what I see in the text, to Jonah to ask himself three sub-questions. One big question that flows, three, three sub-questions that flow from one big question. And this is what I think God is asking Jonah to ask. Why am I angry if I, why am I angry if I repented? I think that's in a different order. Why am I angry if I am not God? Why am I angry if I know, if I know him? Let's go with the first question. Why am I angry if I repented? Now, I think that that's a valid question. Actually, when you look at the story, it's kind of weird that Jonah is angry. If you remember at the beginning, God calls him to do something and he doesn't want to do it. And then when I was preaching a sermon, you know, three weeks ago, I said that sometimes God brings aggressive grace to transform your heart. So he sends the storm, he's inside the fish, and he's inside the fish, he remembers and he repents. And he changed his mind, apparently, from within the fish. And in chapter 3, as you heard last week, he goes back to Nineveh and he preaches and he does what God called him to do. So why is he so angry? If he truly repented before, why is he so angry? So look at what he says in verse 2, at the beginning of verse 2. He prayed to the Lord as he's really angry and he says, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. And he lets us know something about his heart. He tells us that part of the reason why in chapter 1 he didn't want to go to Tarshish is because he did not want these people to repent. Part of the reason, he says, the reason why he's fleeing from God, the reason why he's escaping from his calling is because he does not want these people to repent. He does not want these people to experience the peace of God, the joy of God, the freedom of God, the forgiveness of God. Don't you think that there's something awful wrong with that? Therefore, I have to ask the question, was, jo was Jonah's repentance genuine? Did he repent, like students would say, for real? Maybe. Or maybe not. The text doesn't say why. The text doesn't say that he didn't repent for real. The text doesn't say that he repented for real. What I think happened here, and this is me dealing with the text here, is that even though he repented, he repented halfway. This is the reason why I'm saying this. Because when you go back and check his behavior and the things he says, it seems like if he's repented of the consequences of his sin, not the reality and the offense of his sin. Let me say that again. 
I think that he repented halfway because he repented of the consequences of his sin. He's in the storm. He's struggling. He's suffering. But he's not repenting of the attitude, sinful attitude of his heart. I think that there's a difference, you know? I think that there's a difference when we repent because of the consequences of our sin or when we repent because our sin is an offense to a gracious God. I think that as believers, we should always ask the question, am I repenting for real? Am I repenting because of the consequences of my sin or because of what my sin is and represents? Now that we have children here with us, that's the difference when a children says, when a child says, I'm sorry, Dad. Or, I'm sorry for what I did. Or, I'm sorry because what I'm doing is really, really wrong. True and gradual transformation only happens when we repent both for our sin and the consequences of our sin. My wife and I, um, about a month ago, we were reading a book together that is called Walking Through Fire, which is the story about this woman that suffered a ton and went through a lot of stuff, and the Lord was working with her. But there's a section there, there's a chapter in which she describes how her husband was unfaithful to her. And then he describes how he came and he repented, and apparently they're seeking restoration. And I'm reading this uh, next to my wife, and I'm reading this, and I say, there's something weird about this repentance, though. And then I asked her this question. I wonder if he's going to cheat again. Ten chapters later, he cheated again. Do you know why? Because we are called not just to repent of the consequences of our sin, but the sin itself. How awful it is before our God. True and gradual transformation only happens when we repent genuinely. That was the first sub-question that Jonah was supposed to ask. Did I repent for real? Was my repentance genuine? Why am I so angry? The second question that Jonah was supposed to ask, why am I angry if I am not God? Now, where do I get this from? Look at verse 1 again. Look at what it says. But Jonah, but when, when people repented, to Jonah they seemed very wrong and became angry. Can you say with me, wrong? Did you know that that word in the original, actually, I don't think that this is the best translation for that word. That word in the original means that Jonah is accusing God of doing something wrong. Jonah is accusing God of injustice. <laughs> you know how proud you have to be that you look at God and said, you got it wrong. Did you know that we struggle when we try to play God? Anger flows from us trying to play God. Maybe none of us have ever said to God, you got it wrong. But I bet you that you have thought about it. 
You know how I know that? Because we still use the word why. God, you got it wrong. True and gradual change only happens when we believe that there's only one God and that he's good, faithful, just, and pure, and he never gets it wrong. He never gets it wrong. Third sub-question that Jonah was supposed to ask. Why am I angry if I know God? And this is when, I, uh, church, this is when I get, it's going to get extremely personal. Okay, look at what he says in the second part of verse 2. I knew, this is the reason why he's angry, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Notice the power of that statement. Everything Jonah is saying is right. His theology is right. His understanding is right. His doctrine is right. His Bible is right. Every word that comes out of, comes out of the mouth of Jonah is right. What he just says is so profound that many scholars believe that this is God's favorite way to describe himself. How do we know that? Because in the Old Testament, that, that phrase appears nine times. Actually, one of the key passages in the Scripture when we see this is in Exodus 34, when God is giving the Ten Commandments, and God wants his people to know that he's a covenant God, and this is when he says this, I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. This is how important this passage is. Someone has called this the fourfold kindness of God's nature. Jonah knows this. Jonah knows that God is gracious, that he gives people what they don't deserve. Jonah knows that God is compassionate, meaning merciful, because he knows that God does not give his people what they deserve. Interesting that the word compassionate in the Hebrew is the best word used in the Old Testament to describe the relationship between a mother and a son or a daughter. A mother that is willing to do everything and everything to take care of his children or her children. Jonah also knows that God is God of slow to anger, that God is patient, that he's patient with his stubborn people. He knows that. He knows that his God is a God of abounding love. I, I, I love the way the ESV translates this, describes the, the love of God as the steadfast love of God. A covenant love that never goes away. It doesn't matter how much you do. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how much I do. God never walks away from his people. Jonah knows this. So what was his issue? His theology is right. His Bible is right. His doctrine is right. His understanding is right. What's wrong with Jonah? And once again, church, this is, when this is about to get extremely personal for modern-day Christianity. He thought that there were some people that did not deserve that God. He thought that there were some people that did not deserve that God. 
Jonah does not have an issue with him and his people receiving the grace of God. You know what his problem is? That in his head, there are certain people who don't deserve that grace. He actually sees himself as morally superior. He has no issue seeing himself and his people as people that have received the mercy of God. His problem is that in his head, there are some people who don't deserve that mercy. So it's okay that God does not give me what I deserve, but it'll be super nice if you give that people what they deserve. Jonah has no issues with seeing himself and his people as recipients of the patience of God. But for some reason, he wants those people to receive the wrath of God. Jonah has no issue seeing himself and his people as being recipients of the covenant love of God. And yet, for some reason, he thinks that Gentiles do not deserve that love. Why is that? Listen, if you're paying attention to what's happening in our culture, I think that we would all agree that these are difficult times. It is difficult to be Christians. All the things that we have believed for 2,000 years now is being questioned. Some of our core and most foundational biblical positions are being questioned. Our position and, the sinful, and sinful nature, our position and the necessity of the atonement, our position and, the tra- and traditional marriage, our position and manhood and womanhood, our position against abortion, our position against uh, for biblical justice, our position against racism, our position toward the inerrancy and sufficiency of the scripture, the, our, our positions toward the importance of the local church, all these things that we have believed for 2,000 years now are being questioned and portrayed as ridiculous beliefs. Did you know that that's part of the reason why people now are picking churches, not because of theological convictions, but because of philosophical preferences? These are the times that if we truly hold the biblical truths, you will be accused by the liberals as a hyper-conservative, and you will be accused by the hyper-conservatives as a liberal. We're going to lose people. And even though that is true, and even though we're trying to hold to biblical truths and have biblical convictions, and even though we will be rejected for what we believe, listen up, church. We do not have permission to not love one another and not to love the very people who don't love us. We do not have permission to not love one another and not to love our neighbor. Did you know that Jesus, when he uses the phrase, love your neighbor, he's not talking about church people. Did you know that? He's talking about loving the ones that are not like you and believe the things that you believe. All you have to do is read Jeremiah chapter 29 and Luke chapter 10. It's right there, crystal clear. My conviction, church, 
is that as long as, as we continue to believe and hold to our biblical truths, and we learn how to love those that disagree with us, God will use that to bring people to him. The more we want the people that disagree with us to know this gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love God, the more we want people to know that and to love them well, God will use that even in the midst of persecution. How do I know that? Because that's the story of Christianity. You know, Christians nowadays are like, oh my goodness, this is hell. No, we have always been here. Read the book of Acts and study church history. God has always sustained the church. God has always protected the church. God has always been for the church. And the church has always loved the people that disagree with them. True and gradual change only happens when we want others to receive what we have received. So the question for us as a familia is this. Is there a group of people? Is there a category of people? Who, don't want, who you don't want them to receive that God? That's a question that you should ask. That's the reason why Jonah was angry. Maybe his repentance was not genuine. Maybe he was trying to play God. Maybe he did not think, maybe he thought that there was people who didn't deserve the same God he had. That was... The three sub-questions behind the first big question. The second big question is this one. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? That comes in verse 9. So from verses 5 to 8, we see a different, um, a different thing going on. And we're not going to read the text because we don't have the time, but I'm just going to say it to you. In verse 5, Jonah gets out of the city, and he's waiting to see what happened to the city. So apparently, says some scholars, that he's outside the city because he thinks that when these people repented, their repentance was not genuine. Interesting enough. In verse 6, God provides this leafy plant to give Jonah shade, and that made him pay attention to this phrase, very happy. Minutes ago, he was very angry. And right now, he's very happy. In verses 7 and 8, God brings a worm, and the worm eats the plant, and the shade goes away, and God brings this wind, and now this guy is, is, uh, is about to pass out because God took away his comfort, and look at what he says. He says that he wanted to die. And then he says the same thing that he said before. It will be better for me to die than to live. Man, I don't know what's going on with Jonah, man, but he goes to the extremes. So people repent and he says, I want to die. And then he loses a plant and he says, I want to die. Why? What is it that God is trying to show him? Well, look at what God says to him in verse 10. You are being concerned about this plant though you do not tend it or make it grow. It is sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
God is saying, why do you care so much about this plant? Did you know that the word concern in the text is the word mercy? This is what God is telling him. You have more mercy toward a plant than toward people. And this is the prophet, the man of God, the one that knew the word of God. He says, you care more about things than people. True and gradual change only happens when we, we become people of mercy. A few years ago, a book came out. Uh, it's called The Rise of Christianity, uh, written by a sociologist called Rodney Stark. And what he does in this uh, study is he examines the life of Christians in the first century. And he's trying to explain why is it that Christianity grew so much and so fast in the first century if it was a new, quote-unquote, new religion. And this is what he says. Christianity taught that mercy is one of the primary virtues that because, a merc- because they believe in a merciful God. A merciful God requires humans to be merciful. God loves humanity, and Christians may not please God unless they love one another. This was something entirely new, he says. Now pay attention to this. Perhaps even more revolutionary was the principle that Christian love and charity must extend beyond the boundaries of family and tribe. It extends beyond the Christian community. Who is your tribe? Do you know how to love outside your tribe? True and gradual change only happens when we become people of mercy. And big question number three. God says to Jonah, Should I not have great concern for Nineveh? This is how the story ends, people. He says, should I not be concerned for these people? There's 120,000 of them. Should I not be concerned for them? Should I not have mercy on them? This is how the story ends. So we got to ask a ton of questions here. What happened to Jonah? Did he repent again? Did he repent for real? Did he walk away from God? Did he learn to love people, the people of Nineveh? Did he become a person of mercy? We don't know. And it doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because part of the reason why this book finishes the way it does is so we ask the questions. The reason why the book of Jonah finishes the way it does is so we ask ourselves the same questions Jonah was supposed to ask. Am I a person of mercy? Have I learned to love those that are not like me or disagree with me? Do I want that people that are not like me get to know my gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, covenant loving God? Am I willing to put my preferences, desires, and 
likes to decide for the sake of others without compromising truth. I find the way this book finishes amazing. Because God will not allow us to walk away from this book just thinking that Jonah was the only one with issues. He confronts us as a church. And I think that nowadays, this is extremely important. Question. Can we leave that out? Or do we repeat the story all over again? Can we leave this out? And the answer is yes. Two reasons. Number one, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And number two, because we have the cross. So true and gradual change only happens when we never cease to be amazed at what Jesus did at the cross. True and gradual change only happens when we never cease to be amazed at what Jesus did at the cross. Why would I say that? Because it is at the cross when we see the grace of God magnified, the mercy of God magnified, the patience of God magnified, the love of God magnified. This is part of the reason why we are a gospel-centered church. Because if we cease to be amazed by the grace of God, the mercy of God, the steadfast love of God, the patience of God displayed at the cross, we will do the same thing that Jonah does or did. Never cease to be amazed that at the cross, God did not give you what you deserved, but he gave you what, God, what Jesus deserved. Do not cease to be amazed that at the cross you did not get the wrath of God, but Jesus got the wrath you deserved. Do not cease to be amazed and how profound, how amazing the love of God is for you. Did you know that this is one of the reasons why we celebrate communion? So we don't cease to be amazed and what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Now I want to invite you to participate in communion. And as you, you get ready to participate, I want you to see that part of the reason why we must participate in communion is because we need not only to know and not only to believe, but we need to see it and taste it. See, communion is not just a religious celebration. Communion is an invitation for you to never forget and never cease to be amazed at what Jesus did for you at the cross, where you see grace magnified, mercy magnified, the, the patience of God magnified, and the love of God magnified. So I'm going to ask you to please remove the first cover of your cup. And if you have participated, if you have, um, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this celebration is for you. Before participating, though, the Bible calls us 
to actually ask the questions that we're supposed to ask. The Bible calls us to examine our hearts. Am I being a person of mercy? Have I learned to love those that disagree with me? Do I want people that disagree with me to receive the grace, compassion, and love of God? Am I willing to deny myself for their sake? I'm going to give you some time to reflect on that. And then we will participate. Jonah says, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. At the end, Jonah said this, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's the difference between Jonah and Jesus. Jesus says, look at what I did for you. I am a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. But then he changes that last sentence. Take my life away, for it is better for me to die than for them to die. Do you believe that? Let's participate. Now you can open second cover. And the Bible reminds us that the bread is the body of Christ. And the juice is a reminder of the blood of Christ. You may participate. Lord, there is no other way to change. There is no other way to truly change and become people of mercy. There is no other way to actually change and want to repent genuinely. Lord, there is no other way for anybody to gradually change, but to never cease to be amazed at the grace, mercy, and love of God displayed in Jesus Christ. My prayer for us, Witten Bible Church today, Lord, is that you take, it to, take us to the cross and leave us there. Because there we see what can truly change our hearts. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the church says. 
Let's stand and celebrate God's abounding love and his great faithfulness to us. church before finishing our service i have a couple of things for you number one 
Uh, you have probably, probably have received emails from the church or information from the church about different times and we're going to make changes in the church. I want you to know that we decided to stop all of that and to keep everything the way it is all the way to September 19. So please do not panic. Everything is normal now. All right? <laughs> Just so you know. Number two, we know that COVID-19 continues to be an issue and numbers are ramping up a little bit. We are not prepared to make any changes uh, for what we have been doing, right? So we just ask for your uh, prayers, for wisdom and discernment. We don't want to do anything out of fear because we are people of faith. At the same time, we always want to be wise. And we want to love our neighbors and we want to love you well. So please help us pray as we continue to examine what's happening in our environment. Number three. I forgot what number three was. Oh, you know as a church we love to pray for you. And we believe in the power of prayer. So please let us know. We love to pray for you every Tuesday. Let us know how we can pray for you. Amen? All right. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. This is the blessing that guarantees the grace, the mercy, the patience, and the love of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says... Thanks for coming, people. We love you. Have a blessed day. You are sent.